may be seated. Well, it's <clears throat> such a privilege to be with you today on this Sunday, the, a Sabbath day by which you hopefully will get some rest today. Uh, you know, uh, God rested. Uh, he didn't need the rest, but he rested after he created for six days. And I stumbled across a video this week uh, that I thought was perfect as we're in our Genesis series because it speaks to his amazing creation. Uh, so I want you to watch this video as we, as we talk about the fact that God is our creator, is a creator. Uh, and as we hopefully get some rest today, uh, we'll see what God did in his six days of his working uh, in, in uh, this world. So go ahead and, and run the video.
amazing, amazing the, the creative work of God. We are going to talk about that today as we are continuing our series in Genesis. And isn't it interesting that the very first thing that the Bible describes about God is what? What's the first verb in the Bible? Created. God as creator. The very first thing. So, therefore, the first thought that God had to convey to us in his love letter to us, the Bible, was to make sure that we understood that he created everything. That he is the creator. Our first conception of God should be that God is a creator. That's what he is. This word, the Old Testament, was written in Hebrew. This word is a a special word. It's used only when God creates. You see, you and I can create stuff, but we need stuff to create stuff, right? We need things. We need materials. We need something to create something else. But God doesn't need stuff to create something. Imagine that. He creates out of nothing. He created out of nothing. And the word that's used to describe only the way God creates something out of nothing in Hebrew, it's barach. And it's a word of power. It's a word of power. So when God speaks... He creates, and it's it's infused with so much power that he created the the vast universe and beyond that you just witnessed in that video through a power, and and it's referred to as barah. You see, it's a word that's used only to describe God's creative power. Not, for example, when we use technology or we use things or we craft something ourselves, That isn't barach. That only belongs to God. Human artists only use what God has already created. God creates out of nothing, and barach refers to only that which he creates. And and we look at Genesis 1, and then we move to Genesis 1.27. Same word, barach, three times in one sentence. So God Barach created who? You and I. Mankind speaks of men and women, this word. In his own image of God, he barach created them. Male and female, he barach. You're going to get sick of that word. Barach, he created them. Only speaking only of what God can do. It's used three times in this short verse. It's his creative power. You see, in every culture, In every society, everywhere, humans make representations of God. But only in the scriptures does God make representations of himself and calls them humans. Because we are created in the image of God. Each and every human person is made in God's image. And the same word that's used of God to create the universe is used to describe only that which God can do. And that's that word. It's a, in Genesis 9, 6, 
It's interesting because this is after, after the flood and he, God was speaking to Noah and he said, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. It's a unique command given to Noah. It was outlawing murder. And what's the rationale for not murdering somebody else? Why are we commanded not to take another human life? Why? Because God made, barach, human beings in his image. You and I bear the stamp, the mark of the living God. And we are precious in his sight, just like that old nursery rhyme, or that old, old uh, song. We are precious in his sight. Jesus loves us, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. And we are specially and uniquely created. That's why murder is against God's law, because you are actually killing the image of God that they were created to, they were designed to reflect who God is. And they are a unique creation. You see, if you wanted to mock an artist, or if you wanted to... Uh, uh, make light of their work, or if you wanted to uh, even destroy uh, an artist's reputation or their work, you would go after their work, right? You would destroy the artist's work, and that's what we, when we take another human life, it's like we are mocking God because that person was created in the image of God. And we understand that after the fall and the sin of this world, that now we are marred. Everything is marred. Even creation itself groans, waiting for it to be redeemed and liberated from the bondage under the weight of the fall and the sin of this world. But that doesn't take away the fact that we are still bearing the image and the mark of the living God. And so we're going to talk about the redemption uh, in just a minute. But... If you look at Psalm 19, it says in Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. And listen to this, you can you can even know something about God from his creation. You can understand there's a knowledge, a real knowledge. It's not like we just can guess about what God is like. Now, perhaps this world has been marred and our, our minds and our hearts have been so hardened that we look at creation and, there's, and people can do this. There's no connection between what they see, the beauty they see, and God. Last night, I had the privilege of taking my family on a little outing up to Placerville. And we went to uh, Folsom Lake campus up in Placerville and we went to uh, the, the place where you actually look at the stars, the exploratory, what's it called? Observatory, thank you. That word escaped me for some reason. We went to the observatory, and they have these huge telescopes. And just like that video we just watched, we looked through these telescopes, and it's amazing what you can see. And as we looked, you have one of two choices, basically. You can look at these things where with the naked eye, you can't see a thing. And then you look in the telescopes and you see whole nebulas, clusters of stars. You have one of two choices. Either you can look at that and say, hmm, yeah, oh, that's, that's nice. 
<laughs> or you can say, wow, God's creative power and ability is amazing. And you can attribute it to the creator God. And the Bible says that that's exactly what we're called to do and that we should do. Because it says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And listen to this. Day after day, they pour forth speech. They're speaking to us, saying God is here. God is real. And night after night, they reveal knowledge. Knowledge means wisdom. You can gain wisdom about who God is by creation itself. Look at the heavens and the skies. You can learn things about who God is. God as creator. It transcends language, culture, gender, time, and space. We should see the Grand Canyon and say, wow, God, you're amazing. We should look at Yosemite and El Capitan and say, wow, God. There's a, it almost, have you ever had your breath taken away by some beauty in creation? That's because God has designed you to understand something about who he is. His art, art, artistry and his beauty based on what he has made. And you as well. Do you look at human beings and say, wow. Some of you might look at other human beings and say, wow. But you should say that person. That's why Paul says in Corinthians, we no longer look at people with human eyes. We look at them with spiritual eyes. So we look at people with the eyes of Christ and we see that no matter how marred, no matter how evil or wicked, there's still, a, there's a component, there's a, there's a piece there of, human, of humanness that reflects the beauty of God. And I bet, and I challenge you, and this is, you're going to bless people if you do this, but to find something that's worth and, and image bearing in anyone. You know, there's tons of kids, teenagers especially, that have grown up in really tough situations and they don't believe that they are worth anything. And we have an opportunity, especially people that struggle to see their value and worth, we have an opportunity to say you are special in God's eyes. No matter what you've done, no matter how much you've contributed to the, the junk of you know, sinning, against people and having people sin against you and all that that's created, the wounds and the hurt and the pain, you're created by God. And your image, the image mark upon you has value and you can be redeemed and you can be brought forth out of the sin and the fall in a way where you can be productive and you can contribute to society and you can bless others and you develop spiritual gifts and you can be used by God. You can have intimacy with God. You can have purpose. You can have value. You can have meaning and you can live your life with joy because of God's imprint on your life. He's created you with purpose and with beauty. The whole earth bears witness to God. It says in Isaiah 6.3, and he sees a vision and there's a throne room and there's angels around the throne and they're singing and they're bowing prostrate before God and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And then what do they say? The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth bears witness to God. But it's interesting because we do live in a world 
where we are as humans taken up by human creation, right? You have, you have the Grand Canyon, but you also have Las Vegas. And, and for some of you, it's a, it's a, it's a toss-up as to which one you would actually rather go to. Because we can really, you know, the glitz and the glamour, it's human creation. We can, we can make it look really pleasing to the eye. But there's nothing like seeing God's creation in its beauty and oftentimes just raw state. And so I encourage you to, if you don't get away from El Dorado Hills or wherever you might live, uh, you, need, you need to do that every once in a while. Just going up to Placerville to the observatory for us and you just lean back and the, the docent, you know, just describes all these things. And I liked it because he, was, he kept referring to the heavens, you know, and it, and it just made me think of God's creative power. And, and to get away and to see these, these, these beautiful things that God has created. Because the whole earth, Isaiah says, is full of his glory. You see what this is, friends? This is a mindset. It is a worldview. And the world fights against you and me in our desire to see how God has touched and print, put his handprints on everything. It fights and there's a war and there's a battle to draw you away and to say, no, 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 it's all by accident. It just happened, happenstance and it was just an accident. And that's like, honestly, that's like saying a bomb went off in a paint factory and created the Sistine Chapel, honestly. I mean, when you look at the design and the intricacy of all of creation, it's, it was created by an intelligent designer. It'd be like saying, well, there's just a blind watchmaker who created this watch. All the intricacies and the parts that move together. Uh, you know, if it's by accident, it's like a blind watchmaker. You know, it just, just happened. No, God specifically, intimately, but ah, explosive power to create and to define all that we see. And we see this in Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, wickedness of people who suppress the truth. So the idea is innate, born in people, is, is a God-given uh, design to actually know that the creation is created by a creator. So they're intentionally suppressing that truth, Paul says. By their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, two things, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made. But ah, so that people are without excuse. So so the Bible is clear that, that we are designed to see God's creation, the divine nature, and say there must be a God. I, I was in seminary with a student from Korea. And, and he, he, I told him, hey, how'd you get here to Southern California into Bible school? You know, and he's from Korea. And he, and he said, I came and I flew into Oklahoma. And he was, in, he was in Seoul, you know, surrounded, concrete jungle, surrounded by built buildings. And he came and he flew into Oklahoma. He stepped off the plane and that night he saw a sunset in Oklahoma. And, and it blew him away. He said, there has to be a God. And that's how he became a Christian. Because so, he began a search. He says, 
There has to be a God. And he went on and he said, I got to know who this God is. Eventually became a Christian, came, went to Bible school and came to Southern California. And he was in my, one of my seminary classes. He understood that God was real because he was so cloistered in the, the concrete jungle of soul and never really got out, frankly, to out into creation. Came to Oklahoma, saw the plains and saw a sunset and said, this is amazing. Someone had to design this. And that's what Paul says in Romans. He says, this is truth and it is evident to people and yet they suppress it. Why? Because people don't want to submit and yield to God. They want to be a God in unto themselves. They want to control their own fate, their own destiny, their own lives. And oftentimes it's when things start going south on them and, they be, and, and oftentimes God gives them the grace of a crisis that they cannot control their own fate. They cannot be the captain of their own ship. And they have to admit, okay, I give up. There is a God and I'm not him. And they have to bow their knee and humble themselves and say, God, you are real. And they come to the truth that Paul says should be evident for everyone. So Barak, God's explosive power. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek. And there's another word that is used when we see this whole idea of being created or made. It's referred to as oftentimes handiwork. And it comes in, there is, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Another word. It's also in Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's poema, is the word in Greek. It's not bara, but it's poema. Redeemed humanity. God uses a different word, and it's the word where we get poetry. It speaks of intimate craftsmanship and detail, artistry, which we see all through creation as well. But when it comes to you and I being, being created by God in our mother's wombs, that's the, that's the, the power. How, how, do you how, do you how do you even figure out how a child comes to being? Have you ever thought of that? I mean, have you ever thought of like, where does, where does this little tiny body, there, there's power there, and it's, and it's made, and then it grows, and part of the growing, and then part of coming into this broken, fallen world, and then coming to Jesus, it's redemption, and there's, po there's poetry there. There's, a, there's intimate touch that God is in, intimately involved in your lives. That's poema. So you have the barah. The creation, the power. And then you have the poema, the handiwork. Are you seeing God's creative power across the spectrum, across the board? Where do you, if the whole earth is full of his glory, where, what part does that leave where God hasn't touched it? God hasn't, isn't intimately involved in it? Everywhere. And so this is what's called a worldview for you and I as Christians, where we start to see God's touch in every single thing you do. He is everywhere. There is no sacred, secular split. 
You don't come to church and see God in a unique, special way and then go out into the world and then he's, he's non-existent. Yes, your workplace might be a very dark place, but you are God's poema. You are God's handiwork to reveal the goodness of God in that dark place. It's the darkness whereby the light can shine even greater. Oftentimes, this, you see, this is the huddle of the football game. This is where it's safe. This is where we get the game plan. This is where we equip the saints for the work of the ministry to understand, to know, to, to, to go out and to do the work of God. But the real game is out in the dark world. The real game is where the, they're banging heads and there's tack, people are tackling you and people are after you and they're trying to deceive you into believing lies because they want to tell you that there is no God and it wasn't a created you know, world, but it was all by accident. And God is giving you and he's created the poema, the handiwork in you. How, why? How? What for? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. This is God's part of God's creative power. All of this came to a culmination in redemption at the cross. And so as we celebrate communion this morning... We see that God didn't create this big, vast world and then spun it around and let it go and said, okay, try to figure it all out. You know, you're on your own. That's, that's basically deism, right? It's just there is a God, but he's not intimately involved in your life. No, he came, he crafted and created by the power of, this, of the Holy Spirit a little cell, a human being, in the womb of Mary. And this human being had a mission, had a calling, was to be perfect in every way as he walked in this life, in this beauty, in this created world that God created. And he was to call all of those who were broken down, who were beat down by the heaviness of the weight of sin in the world to call us to new life. And then he spoke power and then he started his work with us personally, revealed that he is truly the creator and called us into an intimate relationship with him. And then he said, I'm going to take care of the sin problem for you. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to take care of the death problem uh, because therefore death wears your, your sting, oh death. I'm going to take care of that. And I'm going to bust through creative power, bust through the grave and come back to life and pave the way so you and I can walk in a new life as well. And so we do this in this memorial because Jesus commanded it. He was with his disciples in the upper room. And he said to his disciples as they were gathering together right before he's going to the cross, he said, this is my body. And he said, it is broken for you. And he said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. I am going before you. If I... If I wasn't going to go and prepare a place for you, I'd tell you, but I am. And in my father's house, there are many rooms, many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then, uh, you know, one of the disciples goes, well, Jesus, I don't get it. Like, what do you mean you're going? And, and we don't know the way you're going. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except by me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of communion, the sacred elements that we share now. Father, we thank you that you have blessed this time so that we remember that you are the creator of all. 
And yet we live in a, in a dark and broken world. And so you have done your poetry in and through us, your handiwork, and you've made us come alive through faith. Lord, help us to receive this by faith and faith alone so that we might know that we are children of the living God. We bless you now. We bless these elements in Jesus' name. Amen.